Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. That means your priorities are Vanguard's too. So whether you're planning for retirement or trying to save up for your next big adventure, Vanguard will work alongside you to set personalized investment goals. That's the value of ownership. All investing is subject to risk. Vanguard is owned by its funds, which are owned by Vanguard's fund shareholder clients. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor. When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. What is up? Welcome to another episode of Talking Pitching. Today, I'm joined by who I genuinely think is one of the most underrated pitchers in baseball at the moment. This man currently leads all of baseball in whip. He elevates his four-seamer better than virtually anyone in the game at the moment. If his Instagram is any indication, he's also a damn good golfer, and he definitely knows more about coffee than you do. That's for sure. So I am pleased to be joined today by the one, the only, Tyler Wells. Tyler, thanks so much for joining me, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Living the dream, man. Living the dream. For for those listening, Tyler and I actually had to have a good 10-minute conversation before we kicked off, and this is, this is a good human being right here. Let me tell you, this is a good human being right here. Um, so let's talk about your fastball real quick, right? I, I think it's kind of a... I'm sort of obsessed with it. I think it's kind of a, a unicorn, right? So you, you attack from the second highest release point among starters, right? Just behind Verlander. You get an elite amount of vert on the pitch, 19 inches of carry being top 10 among right-handed pitchers. You elevate 75% of the time. You have like a top 10 Woba on elevated four seamers, but that vertical approach angle, a little bit steeper than what you would typically see from a pitch like this. Can, can you talk about the development of that four seamer and how you got it to where it currently is? Oh, I mean, you know, whenever it comes to my forcing fastball, I would say that that's always been something that I've thrown, right? Uh, as far as developing the carry and developing, um, you know, just the consistency of the pitch, uh, I'll probably I'll probably take you back to high school um, mm-hmm. because a lot of the time in high school, I inadvertently kind of just found carry like it was just whenever I would throw baseball whenever I would play long toss uh warming up for a game or warming up for practice or whatever like I would legitimately just see how far I could throw the baseball on a line without getting any kind of run without getting any kind of like cut like I just wanted to see how far I could throw a baseball on a line and just I love to see it kind of just hit the wind and just go um so I would say that it, a lot of it kind of started there. You know, I, I always felt pretty confident in like my ability to uh, throw the, you know, throw the four seam. And then um, 
we got into college, like we never had any analytics. I never knew what analytics was whenever I was in high school or college, you know, all we focused on or all we saw at least was velocity. And I wasn't, I wasn't much of a velocity guy back then either. I mean, I think I was up to, I think it was up to 89 in high school, my senior year. And then um, I think I was up to probably 91 my freshman year. And then by the end of my, or by the time my junior year came around, I was up to 94, but I was at like 89, 91. And uh, to me, even then, like I didn't realize I ever had an elite four team. And, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of, um, kind of put it into perspective that way. You know, it's like whenever you get fatigued, like you have to fight a lot of different things to make sure that your quality of pitch still stays the same. And so whenever my sophomore year of uh, college, I ended up starting to work with this guy. His name's Dave Coggin. And he's one of the biggest influences on my base, in, in my baseball career. He's actually based out of California in Upland, um, Claremont area. Uh, called PFA Sports, and he was always he was always a guy that influenced me to kind of do what he called the pocket stick. And so, alleged like his whole ideology behind that was kind of keep everything like as if you had a hoodie pocket, and you would have your arm sitting in that hoodie, and you would pull it out, and it would get you in a scap load. Huh. And so, it allowed me being such a tall guy. Like I was, I, so I'll quickly kind of tangent here into, I was five, eight, my freshman year of high school, five, 10, my sophomore year, six, four, my junior year to six, seven, my senior year. Oh my God. So I had no idea what my body was doing. Um, so whenever I went and saw Dave and I got to know Dave and, uh, he took me under his wing and really taught me a lot about this pocket whip and stick. It allowed me to be more consistent with my body, especially being as tall as I am. So, uh, you know, I played summer ball, uh, my, like my sophomore year going into my junior year, I played summer ball in California for the Palm Springs power and, what I would do is I lived in Yucaipa, California. That's like where my, that's where my parents live. And so I would live, I would stay there. I would drive 45 minutes to every morning to train to go throw with him. Then I would drive 45 minutes back. I would make something to eat. And then I would drive 45 minutes in a complete opposite direction to Palm Springs to go, um, you know, go to the field, throw, for a game, whatever it was. Um, and I did that for a full summer and I dedicated a lot of my time to learning what Dave had to say. And so that was kind of the evolution of everything that, um, helped me create consistency with all of my stuff. And he was never an analytics guy. Didn't, he wouldn't even allow radar guns in the, uh, gym because he was like, I don't want you focusing on that. I don't want you focusing on velocity. I want you focusing on how it feels, how it's coming out. I want to see everything just kind of start to flow, you know? And yeah. um, so that helped me a lot as a taller guy, as a guy who's kind of, you know, lanky, and didn't really have a whole lot going on. Um, it taught me how to feel where my body was at. And so – uh, as time kind of went on, I sat there and 
I got drafted uh, in the 15th round. And so then this is where another one of my um, big influences in my baseball career kind of came to be. Uh, like in 2019, I ended up playing for the Cedar Rapid uh, Colonels. And that was low A at the time. And I was having a great year. I was striking out a ton of guys. Like I was, you know, putting up good numbers, uh, got hurt. Uh, because mm-hmm. I kind of got away from the pocket whip and stick and everything like that, but um, also extremely overweight. And so I ended up, you know, Latroy Hawkins has been a huge influence of mine as well. Huh. And where, you know, he was a special assistant to the GM and there were plenty of times where he had taken, you know, we would sit there and talk in the outfield and he, uh, he pulled me aside one day. He's like, look, man, like you have the stuff you have the ability to get the big leagues, but your body does not have the ability to withstand 162 games. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, I, and I was, I was extremely aware, like I said, I think I blew up to about 310 pounds. Wow. That's, that's, and so I went back home after the season, he told me, Hey, you need to lose some weight. And I was like, okay, like if Detroit Hawkins, 20 year big leaguer says something like that, of course, like you, you listen to that and you, you take, I, I'm a big experience guy. Like people who have experience, I will always listen to them because they are the people that have been there, done that, they've figured out everything. Mm-hmm. So, um, or have seen everything. So I listened to him and I went to, PFA days again and that whole off season like I I would spend an hour and a half in traffic every morning driving from Yukaiva California to PFA train um throw everything got on a got on a new diet I was like on a ketogenic diet um Hmm. you know that my mom that my mom helped me influence because my mom's a doctor and we were working with the endocrinologist at her uh at her um office they were like hey we think this would be really good for you based on your lab numbers so i ended up losing 60 pounds that offseason and i got down to wow. 55 going into going and just and whenever i was in that weight it helped me create consistency in my arm action and then that's whenever i really started to figure out and feel as i went into season how good my foreseen was along with all my other stuff, because I think that my foreseen, my foreseen, my curveball, my slider were my three main pitches. I did not mm-hmm. like contrary to belief. I did not have a very good changeup at that time. Like mm-hmm. I did not have a good changeup. Like I didn't, I didn't even think I had a good curveball or anything like that. Like I was mainly just fastball slider, but I went out there and I stayed healthy the entire year, 255 pounds, um, I hit 95 for the first time that season and mm. I like, I just, it just kind of started to flourish for me and you know, it, yeah, it just, it kind of took off from there. And then whenever I uh, ended up having Tommy surgery, I told myself everything that I'm deficient in right now, I'm going to make a strength by the time that mm-hmm. I'm done with this. Mm-hmm. And then, so I took that opportunity over the course of that. And um, then Dave actually created a product that helped me a lot. And I was kind of like one of the early adopters, like early testers of it. And it's called pocket path. And it's exactly what you would think it is. Like, you know how, whenever you go to the gym, like some people wear those belt warmers that help them kind of sweat the sweat belts. 
Well, it's like mm-hmm. that. And then he has a Velcro uh, sleeve that goes into it that simulates that, like that hoodie pocket. And so you mm-hmm. sit there and you wear it. And if you pull off, like if you go from here and you pull out to come out, the Velcro comes off instead of allowing you to bring it back into scap load. So it's like uh, immediate feedback. So I yeah. use that my, I use that my entire like rehab process and it helped me create like consistency. And then I went back, um, I went back to California. I was in Florida pretty much the entire time for COVID. And I went back to California in November of 2020 went back to PFA started training all the time again working with him he told me hey there's a possibility that you go to um, there's a possibility that you get picked up in the rule five I'm getting a lot of calls about you I was like what like I haven't heard anything talk to my agent my agent hadn't really heard a lot and I was like okay well you know whatever happens happens and then mm. I, that's whenever I got picked by the Orioles in the rule five and you know I was like all right time to work like it, yeah. everything that Dave said, I listened to and, you know, every drill that we did, like I, I did. And it just helped me help my force team, help my whole body out a lot. And I learned a lot about it. And I think that's a big reason my velo was much higher, obviously because of the rest, the strength that I, had because of all the, uh, all the rehab that I had for essentially two years of 2019, 2020, uh, because of TJ. Um, and it was just constantly like, hey, doing this drill, getting your arm action, like getting on top of all, getting here and just ripping down on it. Like everything that I was really good at that he just reinforced into me. And I go into spring training. I to this at this whole point in time, I had no idea that my fastball was good. I had no mm-hmm. idea that all any of my stuff was good because I had no idea what analytics were. Yeah. And and what I was like trying to look for. And so ultimately like, you know, that year is whenever I really found out like just how good um, my four seam was. And then it, like my slider completely changed my slider literally two days before we went into season. And I had already found out that I made the, I made the team. Like I, I literally had no idea what I was doing. And then it turned out to be one of the best sliders that, yeah. um, in the game at that point, and that was a lot because of our assistant pitch coach, Darren Holmes. Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization, so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. So, okay, man, there's so much to unpack there. So there's like, I love hearing this background of yours that 
it's built on feel, right? Is what I hear from that. Like you are, you are mm-hmm. built on feel, built on proprioception, built on connecting with your body and being aware of what you're doing and, and all that stuff, which I love to hear. But then it seems like you had this kind of evolutionary path where at some point you, it wasn't like you were like, oh, forget analytics. It just wasn't a part of your day to day. And then now has there been that transition or are you still like primarily focused just on feel or did you find that it's more of a blend now between feel and analytics i think the analytics provides a i think it provides a numerical value to what the feel is so if okay if i feel good on this pitch all right is that what i is that what i want to see like you know in my bullpen like okay that one was really good what was that was that you know 20 inches hop uh yes that was and then you had this amount of run on it okay perfect now throw this one i felt like i cut that one a little bit like you know what is what is this showing it's like uh, you still have good hop and you're still like kind of right at that tail so you didn't really didn't really cut it this is beneficially okay so now i can start to kind of blend the two together where it's like okay i feel this Mm. now how is the analytics kind of providing that and you know i i met adam wainwright over the course of this offseason i asked him the same thing I was like, how did you blend analytics into what you're trying to do? And he goes, because I'm not going to let like, okay, of course. Yeah. If I throw a two seam or something like that, where it's like 18 inches of run and whatever, like, great. Like that's a really good two seam on a numerical scale, but Mm -hmm. you're going to tell me that if I dot a two seam down in a way that is, you know, say, you know, on a numerical scale, it's not very good. Mm-hmm. but you look at the pitch and it's dotted and you know, you're not going to get a whole lot of hard in that particular area per se. Like it's not a pitch, but some people classify it being a bad pitch strictly based on the fact that the numerical value doesn't tell tells you that it's not a good pitch. And that's sure. one of the things that I kind of got away from. And I'm not trying to, I'm trying to blend the feel and trying to blend the what the analytics is telling me. And now I try and just kind of mesh them together. And now I can focus so, on where I hit spots. Where you hit spots. Okay. So this is fascinating too, because what, one of the things that I love about your journey as a pitcher too, is like, obviously, uh, it, you know, the sweeper has kind of taken over the game, right? It's like the most, you know, you hear it all the time now. It's almost ad nauseum. But you, you're like zigging while the league is zagging. You're like, sweeper, been there, done that. You did it last year. And then this year, we saw a, a pretty marked change in, in your arsenal, right? Like that cutter is a different pitch, right? It's, you know, uh, this year it almost takes on more cutter tendencies, whereas last year uh, it was maybe in the same kind of vein as the slider a little bit in terms of the movement profile. Um, you, you've done away with the sweeper so far this year. Talk about that that journey because that that's that's not one small tweak. That seems like it's something that you focused on this offseason. No, no, I didn't start. Not at I all. Start, I didn't start throwing a cutter until probably my last outing of spring training. Get out of here! Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really throw it in in a game. Like I, I may have thrown it in my last like two starts, but. Because because last year my my slider was a cutter, my mm. cutter was a slider. Like they both blended a lot, but yeah. I just was like I'm one of those people mess with the baseball all the time. You catch me fidgeting with a baseball all the time. I have to like I would have a baseball here, but I think my dog chewed them all up. Um, <laughs> but 
you know, you sit and you are constantly in a feel for it. And like, you know, it's just, I, I figured out how to, okay, well, I know where I need to put my fingers on the ball for here. I know how to get more carry on my cutter. And then I know how to get more depth on my slider. So now it's like, I have one that goes like that, one that goes like that, and then one that goes like that. So it's like, it's just, it's kind of, it's honestly a lot of trial and error. But at the same time, too, it's like, I just look at the analytics. I'm like, oh, that felt pretty good. And it looked like it moved good. What does that say? Oh, that's pretty good. Okay. Cool. We'll just keep throwing you that. said you 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 did that the first time in the second to last game of spring training this cutter yeah wow I love that because some this is a, another great thing about talking to pitchers I've, you know some dudes you know I remember hearing about Scherzer he was like oh it takes me five or six years to take her with a new pitch and then I'll debut it and then we talked to Lance McCullers and he was like yeah I found a slider and I started throwing a slider and it was one of the best sliders in the game so you're on that scale where you're like I, I messed around I found a cutter and it's there for me yeah, it was the same way with the sweeper. I literally threw – they so they they were like, hey, what do you think about this sweeper thing? I was like, oh, I mean, sure. Like, I'll, I'll test it out here on a flat ground. I threw it, and I was like, oh, it's pretty good. And they were like, uh, yeah, that's really good. I was like, <laughs> okay. Literally two days later, I'm throwing it my next start. So what about the, the mental aspect of that? I mean, like, the, like, I love that. You were just like, I feel good. I don't really care about anything else. I'm going to attack with this pitch and see how it fares. And yeah, because like I mean, it's like the you know I I'm not one of those people where it's like I'm going to overthink it with like this grip. Like I've done that because the analytics. If you get too involved in that, that it can it can ruin your perception sure. of what it is. But yeah, it's for me. I think that it's uh, it is one of those things where you got to be, be careful and you got to kind of just play with it but i'm like i just kind of say screw it and i'm like well let's see what happens because worst that's going to happen is, is that it's going to get hit and then i stop throwing it and then i go back to what i've been doing but at the same time too like i eventually learned over the course of time like you know i need to throw it as much as what i was so mm-hmm. then i started using it a little bit less and used it sparingly whenever i needed it and it worked out for me later in the year as well that's amazing. Listen, I know we both have hard outs coming up soon because uh, of various things going on in our lives. So we, we might have to part two this just because you've really you've got a lot of interesting stuff to say. But we always try and end at least on this one question. Um, All right. Is there one pitch in your career throughout your life, high school, you know, college, wherever one pitch that sticks out to you? It's a vague question. But is there one a home run that you gave up, a strikeout, the first time you felt your cutter, the first time you knew your four seam was going to be dominant? Is there one pitch that sticks out in your mind? So I did a thing the other day with Pitchers Nation, and they, and you can go on their you can go on their uh, on their Instagram pages. It's on there. They asked me what the nastiest pitch pitch that I've ever thrown was, and the one that I can remember, two of them that I remember extremely vividly was my slider against Christian Vasquez. I threw him a curveball uh, prior to that on the outside corner, and then I threw him a slider right after that at 87. That just was fastball line straight down. And same way with the other one, which was a slider at 89 later in, like, September against Bo Bichette in, like, a OO pitch. And it honestly kind of pissed me off because I'm sitting there. I was like, I literally just threw one of the best sliders I've ever thrown at OO. 
<laughs> like, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so it's, uh, it, it, it is one of those things where, you know, I do remember those very vividly. And if you see them, I think they have them on the pitchers nation, um, Instagram page. We can find them for sure. I, it, uh, you know, I, that does remind me, it might not be the most memorable pitch in the world to you, but man, watching you pitch yesterday against the Guardians and you threw this OO curve to Stephen Kwan. And man, that dude had, and that guy's a, a contact hitter. He, he doesn't get fooled much. That man had absolutely no idea that that pitch was coming and it was a thing of beauty. Did you feel that on the mound too? Or were you just like, yep, fooled him on that one? Honestly, I hate my curveball sometimes because I feel like it moves too much. So it's really hard for me to throw it for strikes. So the days I can throw it for strikes, I'm going to be like, all right, I'm going to try to throw it for a strike. Um, but, you know, it's, it, you know, you, you definitely get variations on it for sure. Um, you know, it, it definitely feels good. But at the same time, too, I think because of my height, maybe it's a little different. But I don't, I don't, I really don't know. Like my curveball. My curveball is my curveball. I've literally, it's probably the longest standing pitch of any pitch that I have in my um, in my arsenal that's been like there. So I've mm-hmm. literally thrown that since I was probably fourteen years old. That's unbelievable. And and it, last... I've never really, ever really changed it. That's a that's man. I'm... Man, I feel like I could talk to you about this stuff for hours. Lastly, for people listening to, if you want to, you know, we talked earlier about four seam domination. If you want to see what four seam domination looks like, watch Wells at bat or Josh Naylor's at bat against Wells in the first inning uh, yesterday, first or second inning. You, that man, you just said, all right, he's going to oblige me on these elevated four seamers. And you just kept going up there and his helmet kept coming off. And I was like, this is a thing of beauty, man. This is a thing of beauty. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, there, there are some, there are some fastballs that I really see on, like yesterday was a couple of them. I think the second I got, I had of them, which was like 93 mile an hour fastball, like this far above the zone. Like it just looks like on a dead straight line. Um, another memorable strikeout I had on fastballs was, um, it was, in, against the Pirates, I think against Cabrian Hayes, and it was like three fastballs painted on the outside. But my favorite fastball, the three, was the uh, one to strike him out. That was like right on the corner, and it looks like it's a straight BB to it. Now it's not because like I struck him out; it was great, but I just really love the view of it because the camera angle itself makes it look like it was a straight BB dart. And those are the kinds of fastballs me that I just love to be able to see because visually it's pleasing. I know that it was one of the better fastballs that I felt like I had thrown. So whenever you get the best feel of this, and then you see it on on like you know, the broadcast or you see it on camera, and it's like that's just what it was. You're like ah. Like it, it's such a pleasure uh, to be able to see that together. Awesome. Well, Tyler, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. And I'm sorry it was so short. I mean, I feel like you, you have such interesting stuff to say, and we love hearing we you can, break down. We can do a part stuff. two. I'm up I, for it. I'll hold you to that. Part two coming out. We'll try and find a time. Um, you know, if if I don't talk to you. Uh, in the next day or so, man. And we again, we'll have a part two, but it, it's a pleasure to watch you pitch. And, you know, we wish you the best and we, we can't wait to see you dominate over the course of the season. Like you said, there'll be a part two, but I feel like I have to at least leave it on that. So thanks so much for taking the time and we'll, we'll talk soon. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you. Thank you. All right. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, 
Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. That means your priorities are Vanguard's too. So whether you're planning for retirement or trying to save up for your next big adventure, Vanguard will work alongside you to set personalized investment goals. That's the value of ownership. All investing is subject to risk. Vanguard is owned by its funds, which are owned by Vanguard's fund shareholder clients. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.